This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. In July of 2012, I published an article entitled, Is the Glory of God Departing from Cap US? with a question mark, sort of a play on words. I began by saying this in the article. 1 Samuel 4 tells the story of one of Israel's darkest hours. Israel had been defeated by the Philistines. The priests of God were dead. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured. After hearing the news of the Ark and the death of her father-in-law and her husband, Eli's daughter-in-law and wife of Phinehas, the priest, named her newborn son Ichabod, meaning the glory of God has departed. What was it that led to this dark hour? How did it come to be that the presence of God departed the land? And what can we in the church today learn from this sobering time in Israel's history? In fact, I think that it's very apropos for where we are in our nation and in the world today. So I asked my friend Mike Roses, who's a chaplain in the NBA, a marketplace leader, a minister, and a friend, to share some thoughts he was sharing with me about what his perspective was on seeing beyond Ichabod, or God's plan beyond Ichabod. Mike really shares in a really good perspective of not just seeing the moment of the glory of God departing the land, but how God already had a plan in place for redemptive purposes and to bring the glory of God and the Ark of the Covenant back. You see, it wasn't just that Ichabod or the glory of God had left, but that the glory of God was also returning to the nation through leadership change of Eli to Samuel. We really are, I believe, as Mike will be sharing, in a Samuel moment. We do need Samuels to arise, Jeremiah's to arise. We need young men and women to arise with a godly perspective, even through the most difficult of circumstances. Yes, the glory of God departs from sin and wickedness, but God already has a redemptive plan to return His glory to those who will steward it properly. Thanks so much, Doug and the Somebody Cares team. It's a huge honor to be a part of this podcast. I've been blessed by this podcast on several occasions, so it's a huge, huge honor to be able to be a part of it. My name is Mike Rosas. I'm part of the Uprising Society ministry, and I want to share with you today about something that the Lord's really been putting on my heart that I believe is a on-time word for this season. I want to share with you from 1 Samuel chapter 4. We find Israel in one of its toughest situations. They're at battle. Eli, the high priest, is back at home, but his sons are representing him, and the Ark of the Covenant is there. And so, as we know, they end up losing the battle. Eli's sons die. When Eli hears about his sons dying, and the Ark of the Covenant being taken, he then falls backwards on his chair, breaks his neck, and dies. And it's just this horrific scenario being played out, what it looks like for a nation to leave God and to no longer find God as its strength. But then we find this place where Eli's daughter-in-law is having a child, and so she's just found out that her husband has died, her brother-in-law has died, and her father-in-law has died, and now she is dying. And so as she is delivering this child, she is literally on the verge of death, dealing with depression, and she speaks out what she perceives, not knowing the weightiness that it would carry on the next generation. One of my favorite Doug Stringer quotes is, perception isn't always true, but it is to the one who perceived it. 
Eli's daughter-in-law perceived that Israel had so lost its way, that Israel was so broken, the high priest, the leadership, the spiritual leadership is dead. And so she said, apparently the glory of the Lord has left. But if you look at it from an outside perspective, if we go to that place seated with heavenly places in Christ, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. We're able to see in reality Israel is about to come upon one of its greatest seasons where they transition to Samuel now being the spiritual leader of the nation. Eli, although at one point he was a strong man of God, had allowed his children to go by the wayside. Eli no longer really heard the voice of the Lord and led Israel in that way. And so in reality, it was not Ichabod. It wasn't that the glory of the Lord was leaving. It was actually that the glory of the Lord was returning to the nation. And so it really got my attention because I feel in this moment in America, maybe the world, that we may be having a perception problem with the church. I think we see the grandness of the buildings, the largeness of the followings, and I think we may be perceiving that the church is at its strongest point yet, but in reality, we're at our weakest. I think just like Eli's daughter-in-law called that moment in her life Ichabod, and she was completely wrong. I wonder if we are looking at the church thinking everything's okay, and in reality, it's a broken system. Not that the church is broken, but the church, many of the ways that we're doing it today is broken. What if, what if we've been a powerless goodwill center rather than an empowered salvation army? The world needs godly, courageous, and committed leaders. As Doug Stringer often reminds us, our desire to win must be greater than our moments of challenge. When you listen, subscribe, and share a Word in Season podcast, you are promoting words of encouragement and hope in a world that's plagued by negativity and despair. Thank you for being that shining light. What if we've lost our way and we've become more westernized than we have been the kingdom of God? And so we find ourselves looking from man's perspective, thinking, okay, the, the balance sheet looks good. Okay, we have more followers than ever. We have more mega churches than ever. But if you look at the culture as the litmus test of society, what we see is that the culture is as godless as it's ever been. Politics are as deceitful as they've ever been. And we find ourselves in a culture, in a nation, in a world that is fast declining. And so it makes me think, how can we look at the church and say it's okay when the nation is so broken? Because in God's eyes, God always looks at the remnant. And so if the remnant is strong, you would imagine the nation that it's in should be strong and vice versa. And so as we find ourselves here, we've actually begin to look at a church that I think may be more backwards than forwards. We've become a church that is overlooked and looked down upon in some of the most crucial moments in the history of the world. With the recent events that have happened, instead of the church being on the forefront, we're seeing celebrities on the forefront. We're seeing politicians on the forefront. But the church, sadly, has been absent, for the most part, and silent. There have been some voices that have been fighting for justice have been fighting for truth, have been fighting for the holiness of the scriptures, but a large segment of the church has been silent. 
And so I think to myself, what if we've become a church that has been so inwardly focused that we forgot that we are the salt and the light of the world? And if we lose our salt and if we lose our light, what value do we have? What if it isn't an antichrist spirit that's holding back the church, but rather the impotence of the current state because we've left our first love, because we haven't invested that time with Holy Spirit so that he can confirm his word with signs and wonders following. As I look upon a church, and not the whole church, but a large segment of the church, what I'm seeing is that we define names as numbers and not necessarily as disciples. A church that glorifies gifting over godliness. And what happens is we have this this morality, but we don't have the power of God. We don't have the presence of God as we need in this very crucial time in the state of the nation, in the state of the world. We need God now more than ever before. But if God's representation, I believe the church is the vehicle that God uses to move on the earth. But if the church is not representing God as he rightfully deserves, then we are the ones that are going to be negatively impacted by that because judgment starts in the house. One of my favorite Leonard Ravenhill quotes is, what's wrong with the churches in America and England is that no one sees anything wrong with the churches in America and England. To be able to fix or heal something, we first have to identify that it is hurting or broken. And we must look at the church and wonder if we're saying things are good, but in reality there's an Ichabod here. There's a glory that's missing. There's a presence that's missing because we've created seeker-friendly services rather than a seeking God culture. And don't get me wrong, whenever I talk about the church, I put myself right in the middle of that group. I saw that I was faithful to take my wife, my daughters, and my son to church, but how faithful was I to lead services at home? If I can attribute the fact that myself and my three brothers still follow the Lord and we're all adults now, it's because my father and mother led us in twice weekly services at home after going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, a prayer vigil once a month, we were seeking the Lord not only at the church but inside the house. And so I wonder if we have this disconnect because we don't have this culture that's seeking after God. We've become subculture to humanity rather than what the church has always been, and that's counterculture. As we find ourselves here, the reality is I I would hope to have found myself better prepared. For the last 10 years, I've been studying revolutions. The Lord dropped a word in my spirit in 2009, and it's the word revolutionary. And I began to study how individuals had shaped nations. And what I saw is that a lot of the next generation has the same giftings as these individuals who shape nations. And so Holy Spirit began to speak to me and say, this generation is created for revolution, but it depends upon the church if they will do it for good or for evil. This is a revolutionary generation. They were created for war, but it's up to us as the church. It's up to us as the leaders to see if we lead them to fight for the cause of Christ. Because if we don't, because they're a revolutionary generation, because they're a warring generation, they will find any battle to fight for because this is the intrinsic DNA that Holy Spirit has placed inside of them. 
And so as we see this, as we see the next generation teetering on the brink, we have to, as the church, by our leadership, by our love, by our model, by our form, push them over to the right side. Because it seems to me that the enemy better identifies the potential and destiny of the next generation than, than even the church. Because the Bible, as we see, God's always gracious to show us his cycles and his foreshadowing to show us how he's going to work. And what we see in the scriptures, I believe, is the perfect precedent for what we see coming upon the earth today. In the Old Testament, we see God's people, the Israelites, under severe torture, under severe slavery at the hands of Egypt and Pharaoh. And so we see Pharaoh so hell-bent on erasing this chosen people of God that he does everything possible to harm them and to stop them. But what we see is that God raises up a deliverer. And in the midst of God raising up Moses, what does Pharaoh do? He kills all the children under the age of two, hoping to stop what God wants to bring upon the earth. But God, by his grace and his power, still brings out Moses and delivers the Israelites. Fast forward a few thousand years later, and we find the same thing with Israel under occupation. But now God does not just bring a deliverer, but he brings the deliverer, Jesus Christ. So what does the enemy do? The enemy goes and he kills all the children under the age of two, but God supernaturally saves his son and Jesus comes and brings salvation to humanity. Now fast forward a few thousand years later and we see another deliverer coming and the enemy does a preemptive attack and we see the highest number of abortions the world has ever seen and we see the highest number of suicides the world has ever seen. Maybe, just maybe, the enemy sees more clearly than we do the calling and destiny of this next generation. So now, putting forth the problem, what is the solution? What I love about God is that he never leaves us without a seed and a solution in our hands. And I think what we have right now is a seed that's desperately needed to turn this nation back on course because I truly and honestly believe America has not yet seen its greatest days. But what is it going to take to get there? I believe it's going to take revival in the church to proceed a godly revolution in the land. I love how Charles Finney says, a revival is no more a miracle than a crop of wheat. In any community revival can be secured from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win, a, win or die, or if need be, win and die. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. What America needs right now is a holy church. What America needs right now is a powerful church. What America needs right now is revolutionary beings who will stop at nothing until they see heaven come down to earth and impact every single soul around us by the power of God. And the reality is we know this is always what we've needed. But as Leonard Ravenhill says, you will live without revival as long as you're okay without, with living without revival. So we find ourselves in this place of this renewed, of needing a renewed passion for God, a renewed passion for prayer, a renewed passion for worship, because America does not need more legislation or less. We don't need a new politician or an old one. 
We need Jesus. We need him in great measures in every church. We need Holy Spirit pouring out upon the streets, the church understanding that we're not a building, but we're a people, and taking the truth and the power of God into the furthest places, into the most powerful places, and showing light in the darkness. This is what this generation needs. This is what this nation needs. But it's going to take you and I doing our part to bring the reality of what it takes. So what does that look like? What it looks like is every individual going back into their prayer closet. It takes us in seasons of prayer and fasting, hearing from the Lord what we should do for ourselves, what we should do for our families, what we should do for our city, our state, and our nation. And then those individuals uniting as a church, as a body of believers, coming in a corporate anointing and beginning to pray in unity, to worship in unison, to declare the word of the Lord, and then go out and fulfill the acts of the Lord. Because the Bible still said, those who know their God shall do great exploits. And I wonder if the reason why we're not seeing these great exploits in the world is because we don't know our God, or we've forgotten his power. We've forgotten the God who Elijah goes up against 850 prophets, 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah, and one against 850 with boldness and confidence, not only allows them to go first, but douses his sacrifice with water because he knows his God is not only the God who answers, but he answers with fire. He responds to prayer. He responds to man's urgent need and dependence for him. God has not changed. God has not grown old or weary or tired, but he sits on the throne waiting to connect with his sons and daughters to see his will poured out upon the earth. Church, this is our time. This is our moment. This is what God has called us to. And if we as the church will respond, if we will respond as God's people, we will see the hand of the Lord move on our behalf like never before. I want to challenge you. This is the moment we've been created for. This is the season. Revival doesn't look like what we thought it would, but let me tell you, it's here. Revolution doesn't seem the way we thought it would, but let me tell you, it's here. And it's up to us as the church to seek the Lord like never before so that we may see his hand move on our behalf like never before. This is Mike Rosa signing off. The revolution has already begun. Thank you so much, Mike. Wow, so true. What we need today is a holy church. This is our season. This is our moment. This is our time. With all that's happening in the world around us today, it's easy to become overwhelmed of heart, perplexed, as we see things through the optics of our human comprehension. But let us be assured, there is a hope beyond what we see and what's going on around us. Scripture is clear that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the hope of glory, Christ in us. The world needs the presence and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit today. And we as the church can reflect the presence and the power and the peace of the Lord as we recommit our focus on the Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith. Scripture reminds us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize... 
that so many things around us can be perplexing, overwhelming of heart. But we know that you're still on the throne of the kingdom of God, for you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are the Lord of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that in this moment, where it seems that the glory of God has departed in so many ways, that we would also recognize by perception of the truth and the love of the truth that you're already doing a work that we cannot see in the natural realm because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. We're asking, Lord, to pour out your glory, to pour out your presence, and renewed hunger and a desire for your presence through prayer and worship, agreement in your word to wash our minds, to cleanse our spirit, so we can be a tangible expression of Christ to the world around us. Be glorified, Lord, in all that we do say and think. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any prayer requests or testimonials or praise reports you'd like to share with us, email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. That's prayer at somebodycares.org. And also, my wife Lisa's new book, God Did Not Do This to Me, is now available wherever books are sold. You know, in light of all that's happening in our world today, I would also like to invite you to listen in on a candid conversation on healing the racial and cultural divide that I had with a group of pastors and friends recently. You can listen to the recent podcast or watch the Zoom video on YouTube. You can find the links to both of them in today's episode notes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.